you'll stand with me all over the house. In the book of Luke, chapter 12, this is Jesus speaking. And right before this passage of Scripture in my Bible, there's the header that says, Be ready for the Lord's coming. How many want to be ready for the Lord's coming? Boy, I don't know. You might want to try just a little bit harder. How many want to be ready for the Lord's coming when He comes? Amen? Yes. Yes, I want to be ready. Luke chapter 12, verses 35 through 44, and then we'll drop down and read verse 38. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. The Word said, Be dressed for service. Say service. And keep your lamps burning as though you were waiting for your Master to return from the wedding feast. Then you will be ready to open the door and let him in the moment he arrives and knocks. The servants who are ready and waiting for his return will be rewarded. I tell you the truth, he himself will seat them, put on an apron, and serve them as they sit and eat. He may come in the middle of the night or just before dawn, but whenever he comes, he will reward the servants, say servants, who are ready, say ready. Understand this, Jesus said, if a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would not permit his house to be broken into. You also must be ready all the time, for the Son of Man will come when least expected. Peter asked, Lord, is this illustration just for us or for everyone? And the Lord replied, a faithful, sensible servant is one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. If, if the master returns and finds the servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. I tell you the truth, the master will put that servant in charge of all he owns. Drop down and read verse 48. But someone who does not know and then does something wrong will be punished only lightly. When someone has been given much, much will be required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. I want to preach to you for a few moments this morning a message I've simply titled, True Servants. If you will, I want to ask you one more time to lift your hands toward heaven and just pray with me and for me this morning. Father, we just thank you for your presence. We thank you for your anointing in this place. We thank you for your word. God, we pray you'd remove all the distractions right now and anoint every ear to hear and every heart to receive what you want to speak to us today. Move me out of the way. Lord, let my words uh, just go to the side and let your word come forth today, Lord, with the power and the demonstration of your spirit. And let us leave differently than we came because we've been in your presence today. And God, we can surely leave here already saying we've been in your presence. So now we ask you, change us, God. Change us by your word. We give you the glory, the honor, and the praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Nicholas. We've just finished a series in which we've been intentionally talking about worship on both Sundays and Wednesday nights. And it is my prayer that we are, if we aren't already, that we are becoming a church that celebrates the vital act of worship. How many will say worship is vital? It's vitally important. I want us to become a church that celebrates the vital act of worship. When we assemble ourselves together in this place each week, I want us to be a church that no matter what we have gone through outside those doors, when we enter into this place, we do as the psalmist David said, we enter his gates with thanksgiving out there and we come into his courts with praise because we know and we understand that's our way in to the presence of God. Amen? I want us to be a church that celebrates worship. But not only here, 
We need to have a place of worship in our individual private lives as well. And I pray that together, after the series we've just been through in the month of February, I pray that we have made the proclamation that I worship. That's an individual proclamation that each one of us makes. But there are also some other proclamations that I feel like we as a church need to make. So for the month of March, we're going to be talking about the very important act of serving. Now, I know it's not popular and a lot of people don't get real excited when we talk about this, but we're going to talk about the very important act of serving. So many people will say this, what's in it for me? See, too often, that's the attitude that we've been conditioned with in our lives. It's the way we approach restaurants that we eat at. Y'all better help me on some of these because I'm going to get to some you ain't going to want to help me on. Better help me while you can. Too often that's the attitude that we approach the restaurants that we eat at. The stores where we shop. The services that we pay for. And sometimes it even impacts the expectations that we bring with us to church. Every television ad that we see, every commercial on the radio that we hear, every newspaper ad or billboard that we read tells us that this life is about us. Life is more hectic. It's more demanding and more difficult than it's ever been. And so this society, this culture that we find ourselves living in says that you deserve to have your needs and your expectations met. Well, y'all going to be real quiet today. You better start competing because the 845 crowd sounded a lot more spiritual than y'all do. And then we come to church and we hear a completely different message from what the world is sending. Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 25, watch this. He said, if you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. Jesus gave a radically different example. Jesus didn't come to live for himself and expect others to meet his needs or fulfill his wants. Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve. Jesus didn't come. See, we live in a time where uh, a church world where everybody wants the title. Right? But nobody wants to take up a towel. Hello. Jesus didn't come to be served, but he came to serve. Jesus, watch this, the, the king of the universe, he didn't come to receive glory, but he came to glorify the Father. That's why he came. Jesus, the king of the universe, the savior of the world, intentionally chose to become a lowly servant. See. Therefore, serving goes to the very heart of Jesus. And you can't get to know and understand Jesus until you first understand that at the heart, Jesus came to serve others. His service went all the way to the cross. Is there anybody thankful for the cross of Calvary this morning? You ought to give the Lord a hand clap of praise. And so Jesus called all those around him to become servants with him. So every time that we serve, it connects 
us to the very heart of God while also connecting us to Jesus. Every single day, Jesus calls all, say all, all of us to be servants. And in our text today, Jesus reminded the disciples that the very thing that they should be doing when he comes back is serving. That's what he told them in this passage of scripture. Now, Jesus didn't say, when I come back, I want to catch you hunting or fishing. Jesus didn't say, when I come back, I want to catch you camping on the weekends. Or when I come back, I want to catch you gardening. Or for those of you 60 and over who still haven't come back to church, knitting or crocheting. If you, I, let me just say this right here. And I know everybody ain't going to like it. But the Lord dealt with me this week. And he told me it was time to proclaim and to send out a warning to people. The more you miss church, the less you'll miss church. And you need to be careful. I said you need to be careful. It's time, if you're going, I know everybody ain't going to like it, but if you're leaving your house and going anywhere else, or if you're allowing other people who have left their house and gone somewhere else to come into your house, then it's time that you get ready and get back in the house of God. Can I hear an amen? We need to be careful. Jesus didn't say, when I come back, I want to catch you doing all of these other things. But here's what he said. When I come back, I want to catch you serving. In other words, when Jesus comes back, he wants to find servants who have really given their hearts to live out God's purpose and to serve the needs of others. And this idea of servanthood, if you will, is maybe one of the most difficult things for us to understand in this culture that we live in today because servanthood requires a mental shift, if you will, a change in our attitudes and a change in our heart because God, listen to me, is always more interested in why we do something than in what we actually do. Did you hear me? God's more interested in why we do something. Attitudes count more than achievements do. We're not simply, in this church, we're not simply looking for folks to fill positions. Although, I do want to tell you that I believe that God is positioning us to, uh, to our new facility. And I believe that God is going to send in a lot of people that you and I have never seen before into God's house that we're supposed to serve and we're supposed to serve them and meet them where they are in the needs that they have and then we're supposed to disciple them and get them to where they serve other people and meet the needs that they have and then disciple them. That's what God has called us to do. So we're not looking merely for people to fill positions but God is looking for people who are willing to fulfill their God-given purpose with a true servant's heart. That's what God is looking for. This is an entirely different sermon, but King Amaziah, you can read about him uh, in 2 Kings. He lost God's favor because, actually you can read about it also in Isaiah. This is what Isaiah was talking about when he said in the year that King Uzziah died. Uh, you can read about Amaziah in that time too. And he said, I saw the Lord, he was high and lifted up. But King Amaziah lost God's favor because although 
Amaziah did what was right in the sight of the Lord. He didn't serve the Lord with the true servant's heart. True servants serve God with a mindset of at least five attitudes. And I'm not one that normally gives you uh, points, but if you're writing them down today, I'm going to give you five points. First of all, true servants are selfless. True servants are selfless. They focus on others, not on themselves. See, true humility, and we talk about humility. Humility isn't thinking less of ourselves. That's not what humility is. But humility is thinking of ourselves less often. Let that sink in. Paul said to forget yourself long enough to lend a helping hand. And this is what Jesus meant when he said to lose your life. Forgetting yourself in service to other people. And when we stop focusing on our needs and our wants, we, became, we become more aware of the needs that are represented all around us. The Bible said in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 7, Jesus emptied himself. In other words, he stopped thinking of himself and pursuing any of his desires and wants. He emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant. That's what Philippians 2 and 7 said. I want to ask you this morning, when was the last time that you emptied yourself for somebody else's benefit? You can't be a servant if you're full of yourself. It's only when we forget ourselves that we do the things that deserve to be remembered. Only when we forget ourselves. And unfortunately, a lot of our service is often self-serving. Even in this modern day church that we find ourselves in. It's probably going to get real quiet right here. It already sounds like a Baptist church. Hold on, we're getting ready to go Presbyterian. Unfortunately, a lot of people serve to get other people to like them. Unfortunately, a lot of people serve to be recognized. Unfortunately, a lot of people serve to achieve their own goals. I want to tell you something this morning. That's not ministry. That's manipulation. That's service while thinking about ourselves and how noble and how wonderful we are. Oh, have I ever come across some people that thought they were wonderful? Some people try to use service as a bargaining tool with God. This is the way some people do it. God, if I do this for you, then you do this for me. Last time I checked, God don't gamble. God doesn't bargain. True servants don't try to use God for their purposes. True servants allow God to use them for His purpose. That's what a true servant does. And thinking like a servant is difficult. If we'll be honest, and I'm going to put myself in this same category, okay? Thinking like a servant is difficult because it challenges the basic problem of my life. I am, by nature, selfish. The only person that said that's right was my wife. I'm thankful the rest of you all didn't jump in with her. But if you're honest, you by nature are selfish. A lot of times, the person you think about most is you. The opportunity to be a servant confronts us dozens of times a day when we're given the choice to decide between meeting our needs or the needs of somebody else, self-denial is the very core of servanthood. 
We can measure our servant's heart by how we respond when others treat us like we're servants. How do you react when you feel taken for granted, bossed around, treated as an inferior? The message version of the Bible, and I didn't give them this passage of Scripture. You can look it up later. It's Matthew 5 and 41. But in the message translation, it paraphrases it like this, and I love this. And here's what it says. It says, if, I, if someone takes unfair advantage of you, use the occasion to practice the servant life. Think about that. If somebody takes unfair advantage of you, you use that occasion to practice the servant life. See, being a servant has little to do with us and everything to do with others. So, first and foremost, true servants are selfless. Secondly, true servants base their identity in Christ. They remember that they're unconditionally loved and accepted by grace. I'm so thankful for grace. That they don't have to prove their worth by what they do or what they don't do. Uh, the Bible says, faith without works is dead, but my faith by my works is dead. you got to have you got to have faith in God. We can't get there just by our works. Can I hear an amen, somebody? I'm not interested. Listen, if it's your conviction to have long hair and wear no makeup and wear skirts to the ground or men wear long sleeves all the time and, and never wear a tie and all of those no facial hair and all those kinds of things, if that's your conviction, that's fine. But I'm more concerned about people that are not so concerned about what they don't do and they're more concerned about what they do for the kingdom of God. That's a true servant. One of the most profound examples of serving from a secure self-image was Jesus when he got down and he washed the feet of his disciples. That's what I meant a minute ago when I said everybody wants the title, but not everybody wants the towel. See, washing feet was something that you wouldn't even ask your servant to do back in this time, in this day, when this happened. It was considered to even be below the servants. Can you imagine that? The only person who normally washed the feet of others were slaves uh, because it was such a degrading job. But Jesus knew who he was. Did you hear me? Jesus knew who he was. So it didn't threaten or bother him to do it. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God. So on the very last night of his life, on the very last night of his life, we find that Jesus got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing and he wrapped a towel around his waist and he knelt down and he began to wash his disciples' feet. I want to tell you something today. If you're going to be a servant, you first must settle your identity in Jesus Christ. you got to know who you are. Only secure people can truly serve with a servant's heart. And the more insecure you are, the more you'll be concerned about what others think and the more that you'll need their approval. But on the other hand, when you base your worth and your identity on your relationship to Christ, you are freed from the expectations of other people. Did you hear me? You, that means you are free to serve. we got a, a slogan around here that we've said from the day that we planted and opened the doors of this church. Freedom Point Church. Free to love free to serve, and free to worship. I want to tell you, the Lord has dealt with me as we come out of this series about worship. You may see me worship differently than you have saw me worship in the past. Listen, I ain't worried about what I look like to you when I worship. I'm worried about what I look like to Him when I worship. So I hope that there will be some people that will celebrate and, and join with me in worshiping God. But I don't know what your life is like through the week, but I deal with way too much out there to not come in here and express my thankfulness. 
and express to God how appreciative I am, how good He is for me. So I might dance a little, I might jump a little, I might shout a little, I might do all kinds of things, but that's my worship. You need to get in a place of your worship with God where you connect with the Spirit of God and allow God to flow through you. When you get free to worship, you won't worry about what you look like to other people. And you won't worry about what other people look like to you. Because you'll put your focus on the audience of one and do what God leads you to do. When you get free to serve, here we go. See, everybody can serve somewhere. The only people I heard amens from were people that served. Everybody can serve somewhere. So when you get freed to serve, it won't matter if you're front stage center on the worship team or playing an instrument in the band or if you're greeting at the front door working in the parking lot, scrubbing the toilets or sanitizing the doorknobs between services. God needs servants to do all of that. Did you hear me? And when you know who you are in Christ you'll realize that one day maybe those that sanitize doorknobs and scrub the toilets will get a greater reward than those that were always front stage center. Can I hear an amen from somebody? Because there's one place in Scripture that Jesus said, what glory you get down here, that's going to be the only glory you're going to get for it. But God's looking for some people who aren't looking for the applause and the glory of men. God's looking for some people who know that His eye is going to return and He's watching for those that He can find actively serving Him and advancing his kingdom servants don't need to cover their walls with plaques and awards to validate their work they don't need the accolades of others because they serve the audience of one Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 18 I love the way he says this watch this when people commend themselves it doesn't count for much when you pat yourself on the back that's the only pat you're going to get the important thing is for the Lord to commend them See, the closer you get to Jesus, the less you need to promote yourself or gain the approval of others. Thirdly, true servants think of, this one preached to me this week, so I'm going to preach to you. True servants think of ministry as an opportunity, not an obligation. In this text today, Jesus said, who here, I'm paraphrasing, qualifies for the job of overseeing the household? A person the master can depend on to feed the workers on time each day. That's what he says, that's who qualifies. See, early on, Jesus taught the disciples that serving is a matter of following Him and doing the Master's will. And as disciples of Christ, which is what we are, we've been invited to participate in the amazing work of God. And I know God's doing amazing work and touch the lives of others by meeting their needs and ministering to them. And Jesus invites all of us to recognize the call to be true servants, to have hearts that are truly about meeting the needs of others even without being told to do so. To rise above a life that's focused only on ourselves and to live beyond ourselves. So ministry becomes an opportunity to have a different life than what the world offers and encourages. It's an opportunity to be used by God, to get in the work of God and to see and experience God at work and God working through you. It's an opportunity to make a difference in the life of another person and connect them uh, in a way that nothing else allows uh, by being the heart, the hands, and the feet of Jesus Christ to the world around us. Why? Why do we serve the Lord with gladness, the Word said? See, when serving becomes an opportunity instead of an obligation, you'll serve the Lord with gladness because we love the Lord. 
We're thankful for His grace. I'm so thankful for His grace. We know that serving is the highest use of our lives and nothing else can compare to it. Here's what Albert Schweitzer said. He said, the only really happy people are those who have learned how to serve. That's the only really happy people. So servanthood is realizing life is not about us. It's realizing that true life comes from serving and meeting the needs of other people. Fourthly, true servants are compassionate and loving. True servants are compassionate and loving. Can I just be real with y'all this morning? Sometimes Pentecostal people are some of the meanest people I've ever known in my life. And all the Baptists in the house said, I knew we had a lot of you out there. I might as well go on. All the Presbyterian in the house. No, I'm just kidding. There's nothing wrong. Listen, there's nothing wrong with other denominations. Don't misunderstand me at all. But true servants, true servants are compassionate and loving. True servants of Christ don't make fools out of themselves in public places like restaurants. True servants of Christ don't rip the little girl at the drive through window a new one. True servants of Christ, well, here we go, pay their bills. Uh-huh. True servants of Christ think of other people besides themselves. You ever stop to think that maybe that server's having a bad day? I went to Cracker Barrel Friday night. Took my in-laws and my family. That old server was having a bad day. I mean, she was having a bad day. I mean, I thought Rick Crawford was going to pass out before he got a biscuit. (laughs) She was having a bad day. But do you ever stop to think sometimes people are just having a bad day? And no, none of us, none of us acted in any way that we shouldn't have. I did find another little server that I liked real well that's always real good and asked her, can you help her out? She's having a hard time. But true servants of Christ just don't do that. I know that's not popular today. They just don't do that. See, too often we look at others and we make unconscious judgments of other people. We look at, let's just be truthful and honest, we look at what they wear, what their hair looks like, ladies, what they drive, where they live. Some of you guys, though, are more concerned about your hair than a lot of ladies I know. (laughs) You try to touch my father-in-law's hair and see what happens to you. (laughs) We look at what they wear, what their hair looks like, what they drive. i got to stay focused here. I'm getting off track. Where they live, what what work they do, and how how they do things. And many times, here's the thing, we talk and we make judgments about them. Let's just be honest. Our insecurities measure them up against ourselves and we decide if they're like us or if they're one of us or if they're above us or if they're below us. But God looks at people from a different perspective. Listen to me. It's not about who you are. It's not about how you look or even what you have accomplished. God looks through the eyes of a parent who sees their children with a heart of love. Every single parent we've got in this building would love your child regardless of what they do. That's the same way that God loves his children. But get this. In fact, we're also to see Jesus in every person, even unbelievers. Even unbelievers, because guess what? Even unbelievers were created in his image. 
He calls us to see Jesus in every person. Mother Teresa told this story of how one of the sisters had spent an entire day bathing the wounds of a dying beggar who was brought to them from the streets of Calcutta. And then Mother Teresa's voice dropped to a whisper as she told the hushed auditorium that some people would consider that a waste of time on a worthless person when in reality that nun had been bathing the wounds of Jesus. Boy, that's good. Then I want you to listen to what she says, and I'm going to say it twice. Mother Teresa said, Christ tests the love of his followers by hiding in grotesque disguises to see if we can still see him. Christ tests the love of his followers by hiding in grotesque disguises to see if we can still see him. The heart of a servant recognizes that when we serve and love others as God's children, we serve and love Christ. The heart of a servant is compassionate and loving. Sympathy, I'm going to give you the difference between sympathy, empathy, and compassion. Sympathy is when you say, I'm sorry you were hurt. Empathy is when you say, I hurt with you. But compassion is when you say, I'll do anything I can for you in the midst of your pain and suffering. That's compassion. And in Matthew chapter 9, the Bible says that Jesus was filled with compassion. And likewise, we should be filled with compassion, not judgment. Did you hear me? We are called to be filled with compassion, not judgment for others because we see their pain and we see them as a child of God. And fifth, true servants think like stewards, not like owners. True servants remember that God owns it all. And in the scripture today, Jesus speaks of a steward as a servant entrusted to manage an estate. And he was reminding us that servanthood and stewardship go hand in hand. Listen, every single person in this room right now or watching online, you have been given time, talents, and treasure. The world says that all of those are yours to keep, but God was the giver of those gifts to you. And he expects us to be good stewards of how we use those gifts that he's given us. And God wants us to use those gifts for his work, which is to serve others. And by serving others, bringing them into a saving relationship with his son, Jesus Christ. So I've got to ask you today, how are you, it's a personal question, how are you handling the time, the talents, and the treasure that God has entrusted to you? Are you giving more than just an hour on Sunday morning to God? We all know what happens on April 15th, right? Does everybody know what happens on April 15th? Okay. Nobody raised their hand, so I'm glad somebody said taxes. Otherwise, I think nobody in this church pays their taxes. But we all know what happens on April 15th. One of those forms that you have to turn in each year to the government on that day is your W-2. Well, I'm for the younger people, I'm going to do something really corny right now. I thought of this yesterday because I was working on my taxes. But this year, I'm going to ask you to give back to God each week, not your W-2, but W plus 2. We just came out of a series on worship. I'm going to ask you for that W to give God at least, at least, at bare minimum, one worship service per week. 
with his people. At least. Then I'm going to ask you to give God one hour of studying his word and praying each week. And then I'm going to ask you to give God one hour of service to him every single week. Some of you are like, oh, Pastor Mike, come on, man. Listen to me. Besides the hours that you sleep, you have 168 other hours given to you every single week. You give your employer, most of you, at least 40 of those hours. I'm asking you to give three to four hours a week to God and His service. Can I tell you that that's just the beginning point of the very least that any of us could do. And also, have you discovered your spiritual gifts and are you using them to minister to other people in the name of Jesus? If not, we're going to talk about that in this series a little later on and as a matter of fact, maybe next week or definitely by the week after, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have out there at the Welcome Center available for you to pick up spiritual gift surveys, for you to take home and fill them out. You don't have to bring them back. They're for your benefit so you can discover your spiritual giftings and where God may be calling you to work. We're going to do that uh, before this is over, but it's my prayer that you'll discover your spiritual gifts and your passions and your personality with which God has directed you to where He has wired you to serve in His kingdom. God has wired every single one of you to serve somewhere in His kingdom. And then we're going to do something. We'll announce next week what date it's going to be, but we did something last year uh, called Serve Sunday. And it was the first Sunday in March, and it was awesome. It started off with a bang, with a bang and then all of a sudden, as some of you all call it, the COVID hit. And we shut the church down for 10 weeks. For 10 weeks, I preached to empty seats and the worship team sung to an empty house for 10 solid weeks. And I'm going to tell you it now. I'm just going to go ahead and put it out there for you. I've done had the COVID. And I've done had my first shot of the vaccine due for my second shot in three weeks. And I'm like Heather Land, if you ever watch her in that little distorted face on Facebook, I ain't doing it. I ain't shutting down the house again. They'll have to come arrest me like Paul and Silas. I ain't doing it. Can I hear an amen from somebody? Listen, I've already hit it once, but I'll just hit it very briefly again. We can be as safe as we possibly want to be. We can wear masks. We can assemble ourselves together, but if you can... If you can wear a mask and go anywhere else, you can wear a mask and come to church now, folks. And I, I can't sugarcoat the Word of God for you. I can't sugarcoat that. You say, I'm trying to protect somebody else. Then stay in your house and don't let anybody else come in your house if you're going to protect somebody. Hello. Do you understand that when you expose yourself to other people who have been exposed to other people, it's the same exposure that you would get by coming to the house of God? So we, listen, I know it's not popular, but this book tells me when I read it, listen, it didn't say unless there's a pandemic, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. It doesn't say unless there's a big scary virus out there that everybody's terrified about their life for. And listen, it's real, it's serious, I've had it. Some of the people in this church have had really bad cases of it. But listen, the word says 
Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. We need each other. We need to worship together. We need to pray together. You'll get strength and encouragement in God's house with like believers that you will not get anywhere else in this world. I know the convenience, Lord help me Jesus, of watching online is really, really nice. You know, I told you myself, the day that I hated to be home because I was waiting on another one of them COVID tests. And uh, the day that I had to be home and sat there because they weren't going to get my send off back, they wouldn't even believe the rap it on me. I just had, you know, people have all kinds of strange things after they've had COVID, right? So all of a sudden, on a Friday, I just spiked a fever at work, started chilling, got sick as a dog, went to the doctor, had 101.6 fever. They wouldn't even believe the, the rapid test on me. They wouldn't believe the flu test. Had me come back again on Saturday, do another flu test. Thought I tested too soon. Had nothing. Had to wait on that send-off test to come back. So I sat home, hated it. Like, I mean, I just is like biting bullets while I was sitting there trying to watch church. Me and my little dog, we just had ourselves a little Pentecostal worship service twice, 845 and 11. And then I get the convenience. Listen, I'm going to preach some of your husbands under the table right now. I'm sorry. But I get the convenience because I told my wife and kids, y'all go on out, fellowship, and eat. But when service went off after 11, I was like, okay, boom, turned the TV off. And I thought, all right, this is kind of nice. That's over. So now I just got up. I ran the vacuum. I swiffered. I dusted. I cleaned the bathrooms. I did all that kind of stuff. I told you I was going to preach under the table. I get the convenience of it. I get the convenience of it. But there is nothing that takes the place of assembling yourselves together in the house of God with other believers. Nothing. They'll come to the music this morning. Matthew 20 and 28 says this. For the Son of Man came to serve, not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life a ransom for many. After you hear the invitation to serve and embrace the opportunity, then Jesus calls to realize that there's an urgency. The sense of urgency comes because, listen folks, we don't know. We don't know when the Master is going to return. We don't know. But we do know what His expectation is. His expectation when He returns is to find us serving Him. So every day we are called to urgently live out the Master's will. And we do this because we realize time is running out. Regarding his return. Our time is meant to be doing the master's will. And when we recognize that we don't have a lot of time. Every day. We are faced with an opportunity of a new day. To serve the will of the master. Never knowing when that time's going to run out. Listen. No time is ever going to be right. Or perfect. Or convenient to be a servant. No time. There's always going to be other things. People and circumstances pressing on us. So when we hear people say that they don't have time to serve, they need to finish school, they need to work on their career, they need to get their finances straight, they need to raise their kids first, or they need to get to retirement because then they'll have loads of free time. Right, retirees? Most of the retired people that I know say they're busier now than they were when they worked. So some of y'all just keep working, you'll be better off. But Jesus is saying, the urgency of not knowing when he returns will lead us to one conclusion. The time to serve is right now. The time to serve is right now. The fact is, when you're a servant and you realize the urgency, it can be convenient. It can be just like we talked about at the very beginning of this year. It can be quite uncomfortable. When you're a servant, sometimes you've got to put your desires and your needs on the back burner so that you can serve 
others. It's about having an attitude of urgency. As a matter of fact, Jesus said himself in John chapter 9 and verse 4, we must quickly carry out the task assigned us by the one who sent us. Because the night is coming. And then no one can work. The night is coming. And then no one can work. I don't know how you gauge night, but I'm looking forward to springing forward later this month, aren't you? I'm looking forward to more hours of daylight. Yesterday we were working around the house and we had some things. We were working in the garage and we had some things that we needed to put in the building. And, and I said, if we're going to get them in the building, we we got to do it now because it's going to be getting dark soon. And you gauge it by when the sun starts going down and it begins to get a little bit darker outside. Well, Jesus said the night's coming when nobody can work. I don't know if you've noticed it or not. But folks, if we're not living in the last days, I don't want to be here when the last days happen. It's gradually, day by day, getting a little bit darker out there. Anybody else noticing that? All kinds of stuff I could get into about how it's getting darker day by day. But every day, it's getting a little bit darker. You know why? Night's coming. I said, night's coming. And you better be ready. Night's coming when no man can work. If you'll stand with me all over the house. God's watching us. So when Jesus returns, will you be caught helping children and youth? When Jesus returns, will you be caught helping the disadvantaged? When Jesus returns, will you be caught giving up your Tuesday night and going down to University of the Cumberlands to study God's Word with some young people? I'd be glad to. It's what I'm doing. When Jesus returns, Will you be caught helping serve on the worship team or greeting folks at the door or working on the parking lot ministry? Making people feel welcomed at God's house? Will you be caught feeding the poor and ministering in the housing projects? Will you be caught helping the single parent or the elderly? When Jesus returns, will we be caught doing what he told us I want to see you doing when I come return serving me see there's something about having a heart of urgency and recognizing the opportunity of the life that Jesus has to offer because listen I'm just going to put it on the line for you serving is not a one time opportunity being a true servant which is what we're talking about today being a true servant is a lifelong identity because Jesus wants us to be just like him so serving God is a 24-7, 365 days a year thing when it's convenient and when it's not. Serving is all about living out our life and our true calling. There's a famous quote by C.T. Studd. You might have heard it before. It's been said at many funerals. It says this, Only one life will soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. I want to urge you today, don't spend your life doing things that have no eternal significance. Don't spend your life doing things that have no eternal significance. Will you make the proclamation with us today and say, I'm going to serve. I'm going to give myself away.